huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Hey everyone, this is Megan Keeney Anderson of The Growth Show, and this is a live recording of a conversation we had in San Francisco between HubSpot CEO Brian Halligan and Kevin Gibbon, founder of SHIP. Thank you. Kevin, tell us about SHIP. What is it? So SHIP is the easiest way to send anything anywhere. Uh, Mobile, iPhone, Android app, take a picture, whatever you want to ship enter in any destination anywhere in the world. Uh, we'll come to you, we'll take an unpackaged item. Uh, we have warehouses in the cities we operate in. We're pr- professionally package it and then we'll ship it out for you. Everything's tracked within our, our app. Um, and we also, which is really nice, especially for businesses, we'll actually price compare across all the major carriers. There's actually a big price difference as well between everybody and get you the best rate as well. Cool. It's a very interesting idea. Uh, You're going up against some behemoths out there uh, with lots of money. Uh, How'd you come up with it? Uh, So when I was in college, I used to be an eBay power seller, actually. An eBay power seller. An eBay power seller. Um, And what I would do is I would just buy whatever I could to resell it to make a profit on eBay. Um, And one of the hardest parts actually scaling that business was the actual shipping piece of it. Um, so through all that pain point, and then I also, I also did actually learn a lot about the, the shipping industry. There's a lot of arbitrage that happens, all of that. Um, and that just pain point stuck with me throughout the years. Um, and for me personally, I really want to change things. I want to rethink the way things are done. Um, and just took that pain point and then just imagine a world where it would be as, as easy as a couple taps on your phone and everything would be handled for you. Got it. Um, okay, it's a very interesting new model. How does the model actually work, and how do you guys, how do you make money at the end of the day? Yeah, so... It sounds like a hard business to make money in, and you're, you're making a good go of it. Yeah, we're, tell. We're, we definitely are making money. So yeah. how, how, what will we charge for? Um, so we'll charge for the pickup yep. piece, so $5 pickup fee will come to you. Um, it can be on demand, so less than 20 minutes, actually even less than 10 in some of our more mature markets, um, and also a scheduled option as well. And then we'll charge you for the actual shipping piece of it. So whatever it would cost through another carrier, we'll, we'll give you the retail rates. Um, and then I'll also actually, um, what we just started ro- rolling out the last few weeks, is we're actually starting to charge for packaging as well. So d- depending on the size and the fragility of the actual items, we'll charge for that. Okay, got it. Now, you guys have been doing great. You started it, uh, uh, and now it's 250 employees or something like that. Have I got that right? Uh, yeah, a little, a little bit more than that, okay. yeah. And I know from my experience in HubSpot that pricing decisions can be very hard to make. Yes. Uh, can you just describe how the heck you come up with your pricing inside of it? You just rolled out that new pricing. Yeah. How does that work inside of Ship? So the early pricing models, honestly, was just, hey, it sounds like $5 is inexpensive enough. People may use it. There wasn't a lot of research that actually went into it. This is not a model that existed before. Sure. Um, so that, that's how we came up with the $5. And then the, the, on the shipping piece, um, we just wanted it to be really comparable with other options people could use. Uh, the shipping industry is a very price-sensitive industry, especially for e-commerce sellers, which are definitely the majority of our volume. Um, and so we wanted to be very um, uh, 
competitive there. And then the packaging, that, that has been, uh, so we've been working on this for the last um, few months, it is kind of, you want to be competitive with what is out there. And so with the packaging services, there are some packaging services out there. So looking at other benchmarking, um, we want to be, we want to, we want to price because we are a convenience service. So we don't want to be the cheapest cost. And so really just, it's about the, the, what people could do it themselves versus the competition. And then honestly, it's just, let's just see how it works and then make changes as you need to. But it's definitely a scary thing. Like this is something that we, so before a few weeks ago, we didn't charge anything for packaging. It was, it was free. Um, and then looking at our model, and then also as you kind of evolve as a company, looking where we're creating a lot of value. Um, and we want to, wherever we're spending money, we want to try to recoup a lot of those costs. So the model does actually work without the packaging costs. But it was just, we want to encourage, we want to reduce the costs ultimately, and so pass on as much as our costs onto the customer. And, and so people do have an option if you don't want to actually get it packaged, it's already prepackaged. we don't charge you for that. Um, and so it just works with both for our business and also for the customer as well. But it's, it is scary moments because you also, you, you don't know how people are going to react. Um, for a really convenient service like, like ours, I think that a lot of businesses actually could increase their prices even more. People will pay for convenience. Um, I'm a big user of uh, the, the very convenient, the Postmates of the world, the DoorDash of the world, and I'll sometimes pay $20, $30 for a burrito or something like that, which seems, seems crazy, but it's really that, that convenience play. So I think that when you have a convenient type of business, you actually could charge more. And that's actually what we found. We were, when we were looking at rolling it out, we were actually okay if we dropped, like any more than 20% of the volume would have been like, okay, let the red flags up. Um, but actually what we saw is actually our conversion actually increased. Um, we think because with the actual rolling out of the packaging, we're really explaining a lot more of our value. Yep. Um, people didn't really know that they could have shipped a bike through us or an right. LCD TV. Right. And so right. that a lot of that, that actual marketing messaging throughout the product that we rolled out the pricing changes with actually has helped with, with revenue, if you can imagine that. Okay. So we have a lot of marketers in the room, and I've noticed you've got a ton of buzz out there. Fast Company wrote a fantastic article about you. I just see you come up everywhere. How are you doing it? Um, I think that it's, I hope it's, it's the, the, the problem that we're solving. It's a really big problem for a lot of people, whether this is something that you do very infrequently um, or you're selling things online. We actually have a, a really good eBay partnership uh, that we, we rolled out uh, in December. It's going really well. Um, I think it's solving just a really major pain point in a really unique way. Like when we started the company, really try to rethink like what would be the best way to ship anything and that's what we think we landed on. So I think just that taking something in an industry that has been very painful, waiting in the line post office, trying to package something and just completely making it friction free, I think is how we've got a lot of the, the buzz, whether that be a lot of the media attention, um, also a lot of the word of mouth which is actually how we, we do grow today. Yeah, got it. And so the word of mouth's great. How do you fuel the word of mouth? Um, I think you just need to focus on your product. Okay. I think you, you and for us, the product is a few different things. It's the actual, uh, the iPhone Android app, um, pretty basic for any sure. tech company, but also the experience when we show up at your door, um, the experience of the actual packaging, somebody's probably receiving that. We have a lot of different touch points and just making sure every single one is really a good experience. Sure. And I think that those are the things you can do to kind of fuel the word of mouth. Like we've tried other things with like referral programs and all that kind of stuff, but the thing, well, it, it works a little bit, but I think that 
for me, I'm, I'm really just focused. Do you measure MPS or any? We uh, do, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Is MPS yeah. the number you track? Uh, one of the numbers, but it's really hard for MPS. It's, it's hard to figure out root cause on that. Sure. Um, it, it can fluctuate sometimes, and so for us, we try to measure all those different touch points and try to figure out exactly what that is. So one of the, one of the touch points we have um, is actually when we pick up an item until the time it gets packaged. You actually yep. don't have a final price on that, and especially for new users, that there's kind of how much is this going to cost, all those things, and so it's really important for us to get that out. So that's one of the, the, the metrics as far as getting the actual package out in a certain period of time that we measure, which actually goes, we think goes into the actual MPS, and so we'll look at those individual me metrics and try to increase those over time as well. Talk to me about cities. So you're in, two, you're in four or five cities. Uh, how do you decide which city to pick and then you sort of pause Miami. How did you decide to pause? What numbers are you looking at? How's that math work? So yeah, early early days, obviously in San Francisco, so that makes the most amount sure. of sense. Um, and then it's really in the early days, you do just kind of just choose a lot of things. There's not not a lot of logic behind it. New yeah. York was our next city, sure. um, but now as we look, as we expand, we look at a lot of the learnings that we, we have. One of the actually learnings we had from Miami, you did mention we, we paused operations there. The tech adoption there is extremely low. Interesting. Um, and so those are a lot of the things, um, average income, all those things yeah. um, that we now do look into, but previously. Obviously, we, we didn't. Yep. Um, and so as you continue scaling, you just learn a lot of these things as you go and you can apply those learnings going forward. Uh, but yeah, the Miami, um, that, that decision was tough. Like, it was um, not growing the same um, as the other markets. And instead of trying to make it work, we, we didn't have the resources to try to make it work. There's a large Spanish-speaking uh, population there. We don't have, we only have an English sure. <laughs> um, app, all those things. So yeah. instead of just trying to kind of make it work a little bit. We didn't have the resources dedicated to it. It's like, let's just pause. Let's let's use that capital to reinvest into all the other pieces in our business. And then when we are ready, we'll go and we'll reopen that market. Um, but yeah, those are some of the really tough decisions you need to sure. make. Sure. Um, and what metrics are you looking at? Like, you wake up every, you have your management meeting, whatever you do. What are the metrics like? You're just obsessed over these X numbers. Um, revenue, of course, yep. where, where we actually do generate uh, revenue. Um, anything on the unit level, so any unit break-even metrics um, for unit profitability is obviously really important. Is cost to acquire a new yep. and lifetime value of that is a major metric? Yeah, yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, so lifetime value, it is harder in our business. Yep. We have so many different types of customers. Like sure. somebody can be using us a few times a year versus somebody also using us like Daily. once a day, yeah. um, sending hundreds of, of packages. Sure. Um, and so it is, it, the, for the LTV, the, the predictor we use is, is how many, what's the, the spend in the first 30 days is a good predictor. It's, yep. it, it still is, it's, sure. we're, we're getting there. We're, what other numbers? Um, so revenue, the number, one of our more important um, metrics which will show if it's either a consumer business is the number of shipments we have per pickup. Yep. Um, and so a consumer will do a low amount versus a business is a high amount. And so we're actually transitioning from a purely consumer business up into uh, SMB sure. and then hopefully uh, enterprise. And so the number of shipments per pickup, we, we're looking to increase that over time through a number of different marketing activities. Sure. We do product en enhancements, all those things. Um, those are some of the measures we look at. I want to switch topics and yeah. talk about you, Kevin. Okay. Uh, what's it like going, when did you start it? Uh, July 2013. Okay, now you got 250 people, you raised 60 million bucks, uh, you're one of the hottest companies, uh, startups in San Francisco. 
uh, on the planet. What's it been like for you? Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been extremely challenging. What's been challenging? Everything. I think it's it's <laughs> it's it's a tough it's a tough tough role. And going into it, I don't think that people realize how tough it is. What was um, surprising? I think just I think it actually gets tougher as you continue scaling. There's more eyeballs on you, you have more employees, you want to make everybody happy. But I think with the one thing that does get easier, actually you get thicker skin. And so the stuff that would would like freak you out early on, later on it, it doesn't, it's just kind of another day. So that, that is the one that's ni nice thing. Um, but it, it's tough, there's always different, like my job is continuously changing all the time. Um, we actually just hired a COO. Tell me how your job's changed. Um, so I'm in charge of all of, of course everything rolls up to me. Um, I'm in charge of all product and engineering, which is definitely my passion. I'm yep. an engineer by trade. I love product and just making that work. Um, and then everything else reports to our new COO. Um, and so really a lot has changed. Like, any, as you can imagine, we have a lot of people, and so any sort of issues used to bubble up to me, now they don't. Finance used to bubble up to me. I'm really, honestly, not that interested in, in a lot of that stuff, nor am I that good at it. And so now, it, a lot of those things that maybe there are problems that I have to solve or things we need to work through, I just don't anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it, it is changing my job, but now I'm able to really focus more on the area that I think I have more, most value, which is the product and engineering side of things. Okay. Uh, how's your stress level on a scale of one to 10? Um, it's actually better, okay. um, just because I think that I've found um, a helper. A, a helper, but also, oh yeah, since the CEO, absolutely, it's, it, it has helped a lot. Yeah. Um, but um, I've just found things personally in my life that I do. So I, what do you do? I need to work out five days a week, okay. or else I'll go crazy. Right. I'll just have like that's part of working. Like okay. I, I have to do that. I go for a lot of walks just to kind of clear my head. Usually, that's where actually when I'm most creative. There's a lot of things that I that I do that I, I know I need to. Early on in the company, working seven days a week, whatever, 15 hours a day, that's not what I do anymore. I, try, I take weekends, I'm not all, all off, like I'm always working and thinking, but try to take some time. Um, and that's important, and actually I think that the output that I'm able to, to uh, put out there has actually increased, which is kind of counter, you, you wouldn't think of that, yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's been an important thing for me, personally. And tell me about recruiting. So tell me about how long it took you to hire your COO and why did it take you so long? Um, <laughs> I'm extremely picky. Okay. Um, it, took us, it took me a year and a half, year and three quarters or so. This is one of the, yeah, the hardest roles, I think, to hire for. Um, and looking for uh, a lot of experience um, to bring to the, the team. I, I definitely say uh, before we hired Priscilla Zina, um, the team was on the younger side, including myself as well, and so really trying to, to, to get somebody who's seen a lot that could really help out with a lot of these things. Experience, when you get experienced people in, it's, it's really, um, it's great. It's really, really great. And so um, that, that was a very long process. Um, actually, one of, um, uh, I actually have a, a coach, and she's actually on here before, Kim Scott. Um, she's great. And one of the things that she told me, she gave me the advice, um, before you're going to get in a relationship with somebody like that, like that's, like we're, we're really running the company together now, and it's completely different as what, what was before, try to spend as much time as possible um, with them early on. And so like her rule was to have like, have five dinners and see if you still like each other and you can still stand each other. And if, if you can, that's a, that's a really good indication. And that's what we did. Probably spent more than that um, in 
in a professional, of course, like as you're interviewing somebody, of course you're going to have that, but even just on a casual level and just can you get along, do you enjoy each other's company, um, all of those things. I think is it was very good advice because I did that with a number of other people that I thought were really good fits early on and they just they turned out not to be. Got it. I read somewhere that you you tend not to hire people with experience in your shipping industry and tend to hire people who are blank slates. Just talk about that and the trade-offs and we've kind of gone the same way at HubSpot and it's worked in some places and been miserable enough. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, <laughs> I agree. Um, I think early on that was a very conscious decision. Yeah. I didn't want to bring in um, people that had a ton of experience in this industry. Sure. You tend to just apply your knowledge to the, uh, uh, the same problem. Um, or a different problem, but all your knowledge and things should be done this way, I've done it this way before, which can be great when you're dealing with fi finance and all those things you don't need to be creative on. But when you're trying to rethink an entire industry, um, I think it's really important just to have really creative people that don't have a lot of even that, ba that baggage and don't even go there and right. think of completely new ways to do certain things like, like I did. Like, why do you have to package something? Like you want to send something. Like you, you're, you're sending this thing to somebody else. Like why do you have to worry about all the internals and everything? Um, and that has been great. So th very early on, we were not looking to hire anybody that had a lot of the industry experience. It was really great. But I think as we continue scaling, um, I think have bringing some of that in, um, especially for in this industry, it is a very it's a relationship-based industry. So having a lot of those connections, whether like our part, we, we're partners with FedEx, we use FedEx and UPS sure. and all of those companies, and so having the the knowledge of, of how those companies work, having those connections, all of that, it definitely is becoming more more important. So I think as we continue scaling, we'll look to bring more of those those folks. How about in, in marketing? So we have a room full of marketers. Yes. Marketing's changed. Talk to us about how you feel about marketing. And if you're a marketer, what advice would you give a marketer? in today's day and age? Um, I think I think be extremely metrics driven. I think that, um, which I think there are a lot of people that are, but just focus on, on that and um, whatever that means for your business. Find those key metrics that you're really trying to look after and just obsess over those and try to move those and try to just ignore everything else. Sure, okay. I want to flip topics again on you yeah. and talk. You just congratulations raised a, a large round of capital from Kleiner Perkins, great firm. Um, I think you missed the memo. The venture capital business is—they're not funding anything. It's the doors are closed. What mm. happened? <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's what I'm hearing too. Yes. I don't think that's the case. I think for any good, especially right now, there is, and I, I think there, there was a, a study that in Q1 of. This year, so just a few months ago, that it was there was the most amount of um, LP dollars flowing into VC. So there is a ton of money out there. Um, I think that venture capitalists right now are being extremely shy on where they deploy them. Um, there have been a lot of unsustainable business out there. Um, but for for a lot of these, really, like, there are a lot of good companies, and there always will be a lot of money to to be invested in, in them, especially any sort of kind of potential category winner. Yeah. As you can see a lot of these businesses, there's usually one or two of, of these businesses that just go to the top. So if you see a market that's really, really large and you see a, a company that looks like they may actually win it, win it like you may want to invest a lot of money or maybe even earlier on in the trajectory. And that was the case for us. Um, I think at that point we were just in, in 
three markets, maybe it was four markets. Um, and that was it. This is a really big opportunity. We have really, really great early signs from a lot of users. It's a really massive market. We have a, it's a very hard problem that we're, we're solving. Um, and so that's, that's how we, we got, it, got it done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try a little study on you. So what I spend my spare time doing is studying- Selling on eBay. <laughs> is studying how humans actually buy stuff. Yep. Um, and I just noticed the way people evaluate stuff and buy stuff, it's just different. And it's way different today than it even was three or four years ago. And you tweeted something that I retweeted before I walked in the room. The step, the seven stages of voicemail. Um, so yeah, the, the seven stages of receiving a voicemail. The first one is shock. Did, did I just get the phone call? Uh, it's 2016, who does that? Uh, second does stage, that? denial. <laughs> surely, surely they won't leave a voicemail. Uh, the next stage is anger. Who leaves a minute 47 voicemail? <laughs> uh, the next stage is guilt. Uh, I should probably check that voicemail. Uh, bargaining, maybe I could just text back. Maybe that's something that we could do. Um, pain, there is this little red dot for the voicemail and it, it just torments me. And then the last stage is acceptance where you actually delete the voicemail. <laughs> I think that's all the time we had today with our friend uh, Kevin Gibbon. If you're interested in the show, please subscribe to The Gross Show podcast, really good show. Thanks everyone. Uh, please join me in thanking Kevin for coming today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.